0: Please take your Bibles if you have them and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We will begin in Revelation 22, verse 6, and we will read to the end of that chapter, to the end of the book. I do have to say, as I began this sermon a year ago, as I began preparing for this sermon a little over a year and a half, this series a little over a year and a half ago, I entered with trepidation and, and a little bit of fear, nervousness, as Dealing with the weighty matters of revelation. And yet, as we come to the end of this series, uh, I'm a little sad to see it go. Um, I have enjoyed it. I have grown and learned through it. I hope you have as well. I appreciate all the 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 feedback, all the pushback and and just the uh, encouragement that I've received from you. We'll be moving into Psalm 119 um, after the first of the year. Um, But as we consider these these words of promise and hope from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let us turn to Revelation 22, beginning in verse six. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the thing that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near." Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magical arts, the sexual, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you this testimony. I, my, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come and whoever wishes, let him take the tree, the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. And in the holy city, which are described in this book, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let us pray. God and father above, you have called us to be prepared and to be active in our world. It is in Christ and through your world that we are made ready and move into the world with your gospel message. Pour out your Holy Spirit so that we may move toward the holiness that is ours in Christ and so that we may be prepared to give a defense of the hope that we have whenever the world asks in Jesus name. Amen. As we begin today, I just want us to put ourselves in John's shoes for just a moment. And John in Revelation chapter one, John revealed to us that he was in exile on the isle of Patmos. He was worshiping there on the Lord's day and the spirit came upon him and inspired him and took him on a journey that covered all of history from that moment until Jesus returns. And even beyond that, he has seen The the greatness of history as Satan and the world is arrayed against the church, bringing persecution, bringing false witness, bringing violence against the church. And he has been taken to the highest of heights to see the new heavens and the new earth, that grand city, that temple, that garden, that city that covers the whole earth, signifying that God will dwell with his people forever. He has seen the glory and the beauty of God's throne. He has seen that glory and that beauty reflected throughout all of that new creation. And as this vision comes to an end in Revelation 22, he finds himself once again on the island of Patmos, by himself, still under exile, having experienced the glory of these messages. Can you imagine what that would be like? The disappointment almost that he would have experienced. And it's in the midst of this disappointment that the angel comes to him for one last time. But not only the angel, his savior comes to him one last time as well with some words. Words that would be a comfort as they come to him in the form of a promise, in the form of a warning, in the form of a call. So first, we see the angel and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, come to Jesus with a promise. Our book ends pretty much where it began at Revelation 1.1 is almost is quoted almost word for word in the second half of uh, verse six, as the Lord, the God of the spirit says to or the angel says to him that these words have been given to him by God, were sent to through Jesus to an angel to John to show his servants, God's servants, the things that must take place. And the angel says that all of these things John can put hope in because they are trustworthy and true. Now, why are these words trustworthy and true? Why are the promises, the warnings and the call that we have in this? Why are they trustworthy and true? Well, it's because they come to John and through John to us, from the God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As we have seen those titles used for God and for Jesus throughout the book of Revelation, they are a reminder that what God began, God will complete. God began the creation and history of a world. He will complete it. He began the calling and salvation of a people. He will complete it. He began a work in you and he will complete it. And because he is the sovereign, eternal, infinite God, all of these words that come from him are trustworthy and true. You can rest and find peace and comfort in the midst of the difficulties of living as a Christian in this world because God has promised to be with you, to come for you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to move you toward holiness. And he will do it. We oftentimes forget, you and I, that these promises in in Revelation and throughout the rest of Scripture come to us from a holy God. They are inspired by God. His spirit came upon the prophets. His spirit came upon the apostles as they wrote down these words. And these words are trustworthy and true because they come to us from God. Yes, he used human authors. Yes, he used their personalities. Yes, he used different forms and types of literature. But these words come to us from God and they are trustworthy and true. And and, and you and I need to remember that. I remember when I was in seminary for the class that covered the book of Judges through the book of Song of Songs, Before we came to class that first day, we were to turn in a five page critique of a book that defended the use of the Old Testament in looking at the history of the nation of Israel. And we were warned that the professor was looking for one specific thing in that critique. And if you missed it, you would get a B or you would start with a B on the paper. You would lose a letter grade. So I went after the paper with great gusto. I was not going to lose a letter grade before he even read the paper. I focused on the holes in some of their philosophical assumptions. I I noted their misconceptions about what I understood to be the science of doing history. And I turned in what I thought was the best critique of these hundred pages ever written. And I started with a B. The one thing that the professor wanted to see was whether or not we noticed that the authors, who are strong Bible-believing scholars, the one thing the professor wanted us to catch was that they never once appealed to the inspiration of Scripture. They never once, in their defense of the Bible, as a valid history of the nation of Israel, never once said we should root our our strength of conviction in this in the fact that these are God's words. God is a God who speaks trustworthy and true words. And we should should find comfort in that when God gives us promises. Specifically in today's passage, we have three times the promise that Jesus is coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. What does this mean that Jesus is coming soon? Notice it's in a present participle tense. It is I am coming, not I have come or I came in the past or I will come at some point in the future. It is I am coming. We've seen from the book of Revelation that Jesus walks among the lampstands of his church. He is active in his church through the Holy Spirit and through his intercession there in the throne room of God. Jesus is near the church. Always. He knows what we believe. He knows what we profess. He knows whether or not we are being obedient or not to His Word, faithful to the truth that He has given to us in His holy and inspired Word. He comes to us with blessings for obedience and warnings for disobedience and unfaithfulness. Jesus is always near to His church, He is always present with His church. But it says as well that he is coming soon. What does it mean that he is coming soon? Was, is John disappointed that we are standing here 2,000 years later still talking about these words that he wrote? No, he's not. John was working in the model that Jesus gave him in Matthew chapter 25. That model of the of the 10 virgins who were ready for the bridegroom to come and to get the bride and they, the bridegroom was delayed and so they fell asleep and they woke up in the middle of the night and five of them were unprepared and five were prepared. The five that were prepared were ushered into the feast of the, of the bridegroom and the five that were unprepared were locked out. Jesus could come at any moment. All things are ready except for the fullness of the suffering of the church, except for the fullness of the elect being gathered in except for the fullness of the obedience of God's people all things were ready and so Jesus return is imminent and not a single one of us will look at God a billion years into the future and say what did you mean by soon lord because in God's timing he will be here imminently he will be here immediately and so we 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 wonder about these word, this word soon way too often when we should be concerned about the promise that is wrapped up there. The promise that Jesus is near. The promise that Jesus is on His way. The promise that when Jesus comes, it will be an immediate and an imminent arrival. He will come like a thief in the night. And when He comes, He will bring the promises of the new heavens and the new earth. And that promise that Jesus says, behold, I am coming, it is yes, And amen in our God. And it should bring great comfort to John and to us as well. Do you live in the comfort of knowing that Jesus is on his way? As you struggle through your trials, as you struggle through your hardship, do you find comfort that when Jesus comes, all those tears will be wiped away? Death and pain will be no more. And do you find comfort in the fact that he is truly coming? So we find comfort in a promise. We are also given a warning as well. Verse 11 is one that has caused some confusion over the years. It says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Commentators for decades, for centuries, have, have looked at these at this verse and have said, What does this mean? Does this mean that our pattern of behavior or pattern of life that we are in today is set? Not necessarily. We are always given the opportunity for repentance, at least until we die or Jesus comes back. Some commentators look at this and say that this speaks of God's sovereignty over, over the salvation of sinners. Some say that this speaks of the progression of action to hardened heart, Or righteous action to holy heart that is that is focused on in the four different praises. And and while there's some truth to these, it's it's a reminder that once Jesus does come. Your eternity, your destiny is set once and for all. When Jesus returns, the one who has lived a life of wickedness and vileness will continue to be wicked and vile throughout all eternity. Those who have lived a life in Christ of righteousness and holiness will continue to be righteous and holy throughout eternity. We see the warning later on in verse 15 also, as John writes. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. For those who live lives that way, they will forever be outside of the city. And remember, the city covers the whole of the earth. And so outside the city is in the lake of fire, experiencing the second death for all of eternity. This warning does not only extend to those who are living the, the wicked life outside the church, but it also extends to those who are inside the church. Verse 18 and 19 repeats a warning given to us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter four that those who add anything to the word will have the curses added to them and those who take away anything from this word of prophecy will lose their share in the tree of life. This does not apply to the study of the scribes and the copyist who copied the book of the books of the Bible. The Bible as they have been handed down over eternity. This applies to those who claim to be Christians and yet deny the truth of Scripture and turn their back on obedience to God. One of the temptations that the church faces that was highlighted numerous times throughout the book of Revelation, one of the temptations that the church faces is to compromise both God's truth and God's law in order to avoid persecution or to be accepted by the culture. When we do that, when we compromise Scripture truth in order to avoid temptation, in order to avoid persecution, or whenever we violate God's law in order to be culturally acceptable, you and I are guilty of adding to or taking away from God's word. Commentator Joel Beakey reminds us that we are on unstable, shaky ground when we say things like, I know God's word says this, but. And we turn our back on God's law because we are seeking comfort, we are seeking acceptance, or we are seeking to avoid persecution. Where do you compromise God's word to justify your wants and desires Where do you skimp on God's truth in the pursuit of people liking you? Now, this warning does come with two blessings, kind of the flip side of the coin. The first blessing is given to us in verse seven. It says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And the next blessing comes in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Blessed are those who keep the prophecies and blessed are those whose robes are washed. In chapters 2 and 3, as John gives Jesus' letters to the church, there is the call to keep the prophecies in this book. And in Revelation 7, as the multitude gathers to worship God, they are described as being there in robes that are white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The same description is given of the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb, In Revelation 19. Brothers and sisters, every human being has a robe, and that robe records your righteousness. It it is woven of your righteousness. If our robe is made of our own righteousness in our own strength, it is worthy of the garbage heap. We must be washed in the blood to have robes worthy of salvation. Our robes must be covered and cleansed by the robes of righteousness of Christ in order for us to have eternal life in the presence of God. The warnings here is that for people who do not pursue holiness in Christ, they will find themselves on shaky ground as they stand before God. The call here is to search our hearts, to repent of our failings, and to call on the Holy Spirit to work His holiness in us. And finally, there is a call. We've seen promise. Behold, I am coming soon. We've seen the warning. Make sure that when Jesus returns, that you have submitted to his gospel and to his good news and you remain faithful and obedient to him. Excuse me. And finally, there's a call both on the church and the world. The call comes to us in verse 17. Let the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. This focuses on the dual work of the Holy Spirit and the church as they seek to take the good news of the gospel to the world. The spirit is at work in our life And in the lives of those whom you love and pray for who do not know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the work in their lives to draw them to the gospel. In fact, without the work of the Holy Spirit, nobody can approach Christ willingly. Our hearts are bent. They are deceitful and wicked above all things. And the Holy Spirit must come in. Give us hearts that are alive and vibrant with a desire to come to the living water have our thirst quenched and to know that we are secure as children of God forever and yet the Holy Spirit doesn't just work on his own the Holy Spirit has given the task the triune God has given the task to the church to proclaim the good news of salvation and who do we proclaim it to anyone who will listen And a handful of those who may not want to. (laughs) We broadcast the call as the sower of the seeds did in the parable of the seeds, the parable of the soils, where he was just throwing that seed everywhere indiscriminately. You get a gospel presentation. You get a gospel presentation. You get a gospel presentation. Everybody gets a gospel presentation. It's up to the Spirit to make it effective for salvation. But the church is called to proclaim the gospel to anyone who will listen. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And so the call is on the church to be active, for you and I to be active in the proclamation of the gospel, not merely from the pulpit, but in your workplace, in your homes, in those places where you pursue your hobbies, we are called to proclaim the the good news of salvation through Jesus and through Jesus alone. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. The church as a whole and the individuals who make up the church, that means you and I are to be doing the work of calling humanity to the fountain of the living water, to life. As we wrap this up, I ask you the question, what is the book of Revelation? In short, Revelation is a call to the church to be faithful and obedient, regardless of what the world and Satan throw at it, and a call to the unrepentant to repent and to avoid eternal judgment. These calls are given by a sovereign, omnipotent God who will bring his new heavens and new earth to pass. There is fear and confusion around the book of Revelation because we forget that simple truth that just like the rest of Scripture, Revelation is a call to repentance. It's a call for the people of God who are members of a local church to repent for the places where they compromise God's truth and God's law. And it's a call for the unrepentant, the unsaved, to come for the first time to repent and believe so that they might have salvation. And John ends this book with a call to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And that is our call as well. You and I live in the tension of knowing that Jesus' delay means that more people come to repentance and that this world desperately needs Jesus to come back. So our lives are lived with the prayer, come, Lord Jesus. When you agonize over the salvation of a loved one, pray that Jesus would come. When you struggle with the pain and hardship of this life, pray that Jesus would come. When you wrestle with sin and the pursuit of holiness, pray that Jesus would come. Let the assurance of Jesus' return strengthen you to live in this world and to seek his glory in all that you do and all that you go through. You and I should live every day in the anxious anticipation that Jesus will return and restore all things to himself. Let us pray. Our God and Father, forgive us for the times, for the places where we compromise your truth, where we compromise obedience. Forgive us for the times when we have gotten so caught up in the images and the visions of the book of Revelation that we have missed the promise and the comfort and the calls to repentance that are clearly there. And Lord, forgive us for the times where we have not proclaimed and defended well your holy gospel. Strengthen us in these promises in the book of Revelation. Strengthen us in the knowledge of your sovereignty. Strengthen us in the knowledge that you are faithful and true. Strengthen us in the security of knowing that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And fill us with the knowledge in the comfort of that promise. Behold, I am coming soon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this day, as you go about your life, your work, your play, take this blessing upon you. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.